Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Kanish, welcome back to the show, mate. Owen, thanks for having me. Hope you had a good break. Yeah, I did, mate. I did. Christmas was, um, it was too short, probably. But, um, you know, it was nice. How about yourself? It was, it was excellent, yeah. Um, obviously, interrupted with COVID, but that's okay. I think, you know, it, it's one of those things, really. Yeah, it is. Most um, most families, it seems to be going around right now. I know um, my cousin uh, just up the road here has now got it. So, and she's a bit under the weather. And it's, um, you know, you just hope that everyone can be healthy and well and, and get over it as quickly as possible. But today, mate, we're actually talking about something um, that's on also on people's minds, uh, not so much as COVID probably, but it is like the topic that is on investors' minds, and that is inflation. And in particular, we're talking about uh, technology companies, which are also at the tips of tongues, because uh, as we record this, we're recording this on Friday, Feb 4th, 2022, we just saw the biggest um, single stock fall uh, in history. So what I mean by that is, I I think it was around about $320 billion was taken away from the value of Meta, aka Facebook overnight. And, um, you know, we're talking about FANG stocks today. We're talking about maybe ways to kind of use FANG stocks to beat inflation in, in the sense of um, these companies should benefit and should continue to grow. I'm going to talk about three of my favorite FANG stocks. You're going to talk about the FANG ETF by ETF Securities, um, just so we're all on the same page. Obviously, ETF Securities is one of the sponsors of the RAS podcast. It's all on an arm's length basis, but we just say that for transparency. We love working with the team at ETF Securities. But uh, today we're talking about Fang, and mate, I might just before we get to that, I might actually just talk to you about um, like what have you what have you guys been working on lately? Uh, I, I know that you guys have been busy behind the scenes. Is there anything that you can share with us? Yeah, definitely. So you know we've been very busy on you know product development um, from our side. It, you know that doesn't mm-hmm. stop uh, as an ETF provider in Australia. So I guess the ETF market generally has seen massive growth over the past three to five years in particular. Um, you know, the, the market itself in terms of ETFs, so what's invested in ETFs at the moment is ticking over, you know, I think it's $130, $140 billion. Um, that's up from about $100 billion at the end of 2020. So nearly a 30 to $35 billion increase in terms of wow. the, what's invested in ETFs. And you're seeing more products as well. So we obviously had a big run of thematic ETFs that we launched towards the back end of 2021. So looking at unique megatrends and long-term megatrends and it's really important to to clarify that these aren't short-term fads they're long-term structural trends so therefore there will be bouts of volatility they're high growth areas but you know it's a 10 10 year play things like semiconductors hydrogen fintech and blockchain um, we're also working on the crypto space and we're looking to launch in you know, australia's first crypto etfs with a bitcoin product and an ethereum product but obviously that's all pending you know, regulatory approvals. Mm. And, you know, there's a few other products in, in the pipeline that I, unfortunately, I can't talk um, too much about, but, you know, bit, do keep posted on, you know, what, what we're doing there. Yeah, I, I know you and I've spoken a bit about, you know, crypto and, and what's going on with, you know, Web3 technologies and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a really interesting space and it's interesting to see how regulators are going to deal with it too, because it's a, mm-hmm. obviously a whole new world. Um, we're going to talk about, inflation we're going to talk about interest rates 
Um, just to set the scene, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't up to date with what's going on um, on the global macro economy, basically, like, can you give us like the 101 of like what you need to know about inflation and interest rates right now? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think every, every day that there is a news article about this. Um, currently, when you look at it, and it has been sort of trending up in terms of inflation. So the inflation rate in the US at the moment in December, it was 7%. Now their figures for January, they're expected to be released next week. Um, and they're expecting it to hit a 40 year high of 7.2%. So it's still trending upwards. Um, Australia's um, inflation is sitting at about 3.5%. Now from an Australian perspective, you know, the Reserve Bank came out in their minutes um, from their meeting the other day talking about, you know, what's impacting the inflation rate. And it's things like, you know, high petrol prices, uh, high prices for newly constructed homes. And also a big thing has been that disruption to global supply chains. So mm. where we're seeing inflation at the moment is, yes, it has been trending upwards. However, when you look at all, you know, reserve banks and um, you look at analyst expectations and the investment banks, they obviously have a view on inflation. A lot of them are saying that inflation is quite transitory, even though the Fed Reserve, the US Fed Reserve has pretty much taken that word transitory out of their sort of dialogue and communications. There's a strong belief that inflation at the moment is here to stay um, for the short to medium term. I guess the, the concern could be is how long is inflation here to stay for? So is it long-term inflation? Um, you know, right now, when you think about inflation, that's we're seeing at the moment, a lot of it's caused by supply chain shortages. A lot of it was caused by the pandemic and that resulted in further disruption in factories, manufacturing. You've seen wage growth as well. Um, so you've seen this combined element. You've also seen oil prices increase. So you've seen more short-term impacts mm -hmm. to inflation more recently. The question is, if you start to see house prices increase, you start to see people locking in wages with the expectation that costs are going to be higher for longer, does inflation stay around longer at this same rate? Um, and, you know, but it, the viewpoint, as I said, from investment banks is it's not looking likely to be on an upward trend. It's more on a sort of a, a neutral plateauing out at the moment, but not really downward either. Mm. So, what does that mean for investment? But I mean, uh, interest rates, you know, what, what are reserve banks going to do? Um, now, that's the big question. So when you think about mm. a reserve bank, you know, the Federal Reserve, the RBA, um, the European Central Bank, you know, um, whoever it may be, they use interest rates as a way in which to control the rise of inflation. So if they're seeing inflation start to run, one of the tools in their toolbox, or well, the only tool in their toolbox really is interest rates, monetary policy. Now, what they're looking to do is potentially raise rates. Now, this has been a big shift because if you were to talk to people two, three years ago and you were to look at expectations from reserve banks raising rates, most would have said no expectation at all. Even as of last year, you know, Jerome Powell's talking about 2024, um, the RBA saying, yep, don't expect any raise of interest rates in 2022. That's changed. And right now, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, um, they're expecting roughly uh, five rate increases um, in the US. Here in Australia, I think there's now an expectation that we will see some rate increases occurring. Um, there isn't a sort of a number that I've been able to sort of dig out or any sort of analyst expectation on how right. much 
how much that will be, but there's expectation that it will happen. Um, and part of that will be in response to how inflation rolls out. And, you know, if it continues on an upward trend, well, that'll be accelerated. And, but if it doesn't, then that number of rate hikes or the, the I guess, the, the size of those rate hikes may be more muted. Mm. I've actually, I actually saw a tweet today, um, Bank of England, looks like the talk is that inflation is going to hit 7% or, or above or slightly over. And um, the expectation is for two interest rate increases in the near future. So, I mean, we're seeing this across the board, right? It's not just here in Australia. And I guess this has really broad implications, not just for the equity markets, which is principally what we're talking about today, about stocks, about companies. And um, we've already seen some massive sell-offs. And um, one of the things that we know is that, and we'll get to this in the discussion, is that increasing inflation typically, as we've spoken about, leads to higher interest rates, which typically puts downward pressure on some valuations, in particular, high growth stocks and highly valued stocks in particular, not so much the, the companies that can keep growing, but the companies that will falter. Um, you know, we've, we saw some crazy examples last year in 2021 of companies IPOing with $100 billion market caps or, or, you know, tens of billions of dollars and zero dollars in revenue. So, I mean, these, those are kind of symptomatic of environments, which, have, you know, there's a lot of credit and it's very low cost and there's no fears of inflation. But as soon as those fears come up, people really begin to wonder what's going to happen next. So, um, that's a really good overview, mate, like a really thorough. So thank you for that. I think that sets the scene for what we're about to talk about. Um, one other thing which we, you and I have joked about before is that almost always when we talk, it comes back to gold because, um, you know, gold is the biggest ETF from ETF securities, but it's also, you know, the default for financial advisors. And we, we've spoken before about gold and um, have some diff, like differences in opinion around gold. And it was actually um, the most popular episode we've ever done, which was on the gold ETF. So I'll put the link, <laughs> I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes, but um, I'm hoping you can just tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing from that perspective. So um, are people seeing gold still as like a hedge against uncertainty, a hedge against inflation and interest rate expectations? Is that what you're seeing? Because that ETF just seems to be getting bigger and bigger by the day. Definitely, I think we are seeing a better understanding of how gold can be used in portfolio. So if we take a back level, gold traditional place in a portfolio, it's a defensive alternative. Um, it is your portfolio insurance. So when you think about having insurance in a portfolio, it seems a bit odd, you know, because you're mm. basically betting that the rest of your portfolio is not going to do well, but that's what insurance is there for. It's like, you know, if you've got a car, you have insurance, you pay for that insurance, but you hope never to use it. In the same way gold is seen, gold is seen as that insurance in a portfolio. Now, gold has a number of different drivers, um, you know, one of which is interest rates. And generally in a lower interest rate environment, gold does well. Um, we're obviously seeing a potential shift in that. But gold also has some other drivers being market volatility, geopolitical risk, and also inflation. So mm. we've got this weird, not weird scenario, but you've got this scenario right now in which you're seeing okay, a potential rising rate environment, although, you know, a weakening US dollar, which has a benefit for gold prices, by the way, um, mm. you've got inflation has been on the rise and you've seen a potential, as we talked about inflation, potentially being transitory at the moment, um, unless we see some more supply shock, um, supply side shocks, but you've also got volatility in the market. So gold from a performance level, if you looked at it for over the period of 2021, it was you know, gold 
in our GOLD ETF, so that's an unhedged gold exposure, mm -hmm. it was positive 2%. You know, it's not shooting the lights out, but it's not also, you know, dragging down the portfolio. And that's what it's there to do. And so recently over the past few weeks, you know, we've seen some strong buying of our gold ETF purely because people are seeing it not from an interest rate perspective, it is equity market volatility and it's inflation. So traditionally gold has been a hedge to inflation. Um, yes, it's had some mixed track records in the 80s and 90s, but generally when you look at over the long term, it's partly lived up to its reputation in those results as being a good inflation hedge. So what we're seeing at the moment is people are concerned around inflation, they're using gold for that hedge, but they're also using gold as that equity volatility. Um, and that, that's been really interesting. We haven't seen any outflows last year of gold, even in this whole growth environment that we saw in 2021, our GLD ETF had positive flows of, you know, 250 million plus. So there are still people looking to add into their portfolios, that defensive alternative, that portfolio insurance. And that's where we see gold sitting. Mm. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we've obviously spoken about this at length, but I just bring it up because it's kind of a, an alternative for people to, to think about as they worry about inflation or they have concerns about that. Um, this, you know, historically, this is, as you said, what is done typically pretty well. Um, Obviously, we're also seeing the rise of other alternative things, which we mentioned, which is like the cryptocurrencies. People see those as a kind of an alternative, a bit more on the, maybe even more again on the speculative side, but uh, still yeah. something more emerging and, and, and people seeking out those non-correlated bets. Well, I think that's a key point there. It's a non-correlated bet in terms of what gold was seen for. Um, mm -hmm. Crypto, I see it as an alternative. I see it as a growth alternative, albeit a very highly speculative growth alternative. Um, crypto in some way, shape or form has a place in this world. Um, and, you know, we're working out where that sits, mm. but in all contexts, there was a lot of discussion last year, you know, when crypto and Bitcoin in particular was on its, you know, big rally and, you know, hitting record highs, people were talking about it being the new gold. This is the, it's, it's, it, it replaces gold. I think what we've seen over the past few weeks with how sharply the Bitcoin price has dropped and gold has stood up. You know, the gold price has stood up. It's been sitting at around that 1800 US dollars to about 1850 US dollars an ounce over the past four to eight weeks. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. we've got the, our gold ETF. We've got, you know, nearly 27 tons of gold sitting in a vault. So we keep, we keep an eye on the gold price um, quite, quite keenly. But that, that's something that we've seen. It's, that's great to see the defensive alternative, a defensive asset doing what it's supposed to do when markets have been, you know, being so volatile, they've dropped so much. It's, you know, we're, 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 we're sort of thankful to see gold doing its job for, mm. for investors. And that's why we're seeing a bit more flows into it of late. Mm, for sure. Um, so let's talk about some companies now. We've, we've spoken mm -hmm. a bit about, um, on the show recently, mate, we've spoken a bit about like companies and building kind of recession-proof portfolios and what have you. Um, it, there are mixed views in the market. Like some people believe that a modest in, increase in interest rates is what we're going to see. Some believe that, you know, the rising inflation is here to stay. There's, it's, it's kind of like the, the market and the debate is pretty polarizing at the moment. Um, one of the things that I've been sharing around is basically if you do have the equity side of your portfolio, it's kind of a very simple checklist for people in this kind of uncertain environment. And one of those things would be, uh, I'll just rattle them off. I've got about four things here I'll share today, which is, um, does the company that you own sell discretionary products? And so those are the things like retailers that might sell, you know, fashion goods and, and those types of things. And um, we're still seeing some pretty good growth out of e-commerce on that side and companies that like sell, um, 
like Premier Investments uh, run by Solomon Liu. Um, we're still seeing some some good traction out of those businesses, but in times of crisis, those are the businesses that typically falter um, or tear at the seams, if you will. So what I'm looking for here is companies that have kind of those like dependable products, those mission critical systems and software in particular. Number two would be intangible value. So does the the investment or the company that you own, does it have a strong brand? Does it have, you know, carry with it goodwill from consumers and kind of that presence of mindshare? Um, an example of this in Australia would be Cochlear, which obviously has implantable hearing aids. It's got the probably the world leading system on implantable hearing aids and decades of experience. Um, I heard it put once, if you're going to screw something into your head, you want it to be Cochlear. Uh, number three is um, the business model, is the business model sensitive to supply constraints? You just talked there about like the semi-ETF, which you launched in 2021. Um, obviously that was like great timing because it was exactly the time when semiconductors and uh, microchips and all that type of stuff, as we spoke about on that episode, um, were in demand because there was such a short supply and the world was shifting rapidly online and all the rest of it. Um, a counterpoint to that would probably be something like Redbubble here in Australia, which is a stock that I own, I've spoken about on the show recently. Um, it serves customers online, sells them t-shirts and stickers and all those types of things. And then it pays for the shipping and the, the manufacturing out of that fee that it collects. But it can't pass on the cost of increased shipping to its consumers because it's such a competitive market. So we're seeing that really get hurt at the moment. The other company I might draw out here on the ASX is Amcor. Um, Amcor, obviously logistics and, and freight and all that can pass on the cost uh, to consumers and, and through to businesses um, of increased costs there. So that's a, that's a business that can do it. One final thing that I might add uh, before I throw it over to you is, does the company that you own or that you're looking at, is its financial position pretty weak? Does it have lots of debt and not much cash? Is the cash flow pretty poor? Um, you know, we've seen some instances of companies over the years just binging on equity markets. So as the stock prices just rally, they just issue capital to pay for their operations. Uh, there are plenty of examples here in Australia and globally on this. Um, you know, I think one example might be Slater and Gordon from years gone by, the, the law firm that just kept on issuing to buy more law practices and eventually it all came undone. So just to recap, we've got, is it, does it have mission critical software? Does it have um, intangible value? Um, is the business subject to su supply side constraints? And uh, is the business in a position where it's kind of, you know, in a financial position that is precarious? We don't obviously want that. So those are four things that I might just set the scene with. Um, Using that kind of very rough checklist there, Kanish, how would you say Fang stocks being, you know, Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, how do these companies fare against something like that? I think from where, you know, where I sit and what, what I'm seeing in particular with a lot of those Fang stocks is they're not companies that are, you know, you, you talked about it before where you said there were companies that were listing last year with a hundred billion dollar, um, you know, market cap, but had no revenue. Mm. Now I look at Apple, I look at Microsoft, you know, Tesla even now has turned over a profit. Um, Facebook, yes, we've seen, you know, really sharp drop in their, in their value, you know, the biggest in, in the world for any company, but yet it still has, you know, I think it was an active reach or active users on a daily basis of about, you know, over 2 billion active hmm. daily users. Yeah. Um, and so they've still got some strong underlying businesses and strong revenue streams. So they're companies that are actually making money. Um, Amazon is another example. It is still making money. Um, so I look at those FANG stocks and yes, 
they a lot of people you know you talk about what is a growth company so an apple you know which is growing at you know sometimes they look at their earnings it's not growing at significantly high earnings um when you, when you think about apple it's not growing at 30 40 percent a year it's growing at you know potentially 11 12 percent a year but it's still growing off a very strong base you know it's a multi-trillion dollar company the largest in the world mm. and so i sometimes talk about quality growth as well um to your point when you talked about this and you'd say in the current climate what what should investors do well it really depends on their risk profile so if they're investing for the long term this current period that we have with inflation having been on the rise interest rates on the cards to increase there is concern around some of these names in the short to medium term you will have some hurt you will have some volatility we've seen that over the past three four months but in the long term, if you're investing in it for the long term, and I'm talking three, five, 10 years, do you fundamentally see these companies still prospering and still succeeding? And I think that's the key point. So that's where we look at some of these FANG stocks, not that they're too big to fail. And I think that's really important because a lot of these companies are constantly innovating themselves, um, whether it's through internal research and development and internal you know, innovation, or it's through acquisitions. So Facebook is one of those key examples. They've had some pretty, you know, pretty nasty fails when they've done some internal innovation. You know, we saw them come out with trying to launch a cryptocurrency. It hasn't worked out. But we've also seen them do pretty well when they've bought companies and acquired companies. Instagram's a perfect example. Instagram now has more, contributes, I think, more than 25% of their ad revenue. And mm. they acquired that in 2012. So they've made some pretty smart acquisitions along the way as well. And I think that's the important part when you look at some of these fang names is lift up the hood a little bit, understand a little bit around, you know, are these pure growth or are some of these companies actually sitting on some very strong foundations for the long term? Mm. Yeah, and I, I agree. Like, so I was just looking at the, the net income or net profit margins of Microsoft, uh, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about in a minute, and Facebook you know, the net income margin or net profit margin is still over 30% for these businesses. And so these are businesses, you know, not so much Facebook now, but, you know, the others, trillion dollar plus market capitalizations and still growing and still extremely profitable. And as an investor will tell you, that just speaks to the quality of the franchise. So like you said, quality growth. Um, we're seeing these businesses, you know, Microsoft would be a good example, which we'll get to in a minute with Activision, um, the, the shift there. I think, as you said, they're not too big to fail. Uh, one of the key risks that we've always kind of identified is the risk of regulation because they're so powerful, because they are um, just, you know, in every vertical that they're in, they dominate it. You know, you can't go on the internet without basically going through Google these days. Um, you can't, at least half the population seems to be on an iPhone these days or with an Android, that's Google again. So, you know, there's, they're just everywhere in our lives and we're so deeply embedded. So if I just look at that checklist um, that I brought up, are they mission critical? Well, they're mission critical for us. We wouldn't be having this conversation if these companies didn't exist. Um, do they have brand value? Absolutely, they do. Some of the strongest brands in the world, like look at people lining up for Apple or you know, people who are religious, whether they're Xbox or PlayStation, because obviously Xbox is owned by Microsoft. Um, do the other business models you know, weak on the supply side? Not really, because they're so big. Like Apple, for example, is exposed to this. Um, they have, you know, rapid supply of chips and of components. Um, Microsoft has had an issue with getting Xboxes, but that just meant that the people want them even more. Uh, and do they have weak financial positions? Absolutely not. 
even Facebook, probably the most beaten up fang stock at the moment, has billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars in cash. So these are companies that meet this checklist brilliantly. And um, I know you're seeing this because you've, we're obviously talking about fang stocks, one, because it's really topical at the moment, and two, because they meet this filter, but three, um, you've obviously got the fang ETF, which combines 10 of these companies, not just the fangs that we've talked about, but also it's like fang plus. So Microsoft has gone in there recently. Um, and it's kind of like a ready-made, equally weighted portfolio for people um, that want that tactical or that satellite exposure. Um, and for people that don't want to open a US brokerage account, it's, it's a lot easier. So I, I actually saw an email from you well, was about two weeks ago, maybe a week ago now, uh, where you talked about why Microsoft moved in. I think it was the first change you've made to the FANG ETF since you've been running it. Microsoft moved in, Twitter got booted out. Um, why did that happen? Well, uh, just before I get into it, I just wanted to raise one point which you mm -hmm. talk about, which is um, a lot of these companies generally are perceived as growth because they have a really high PE, so price to earnings yeah. ratio. And that has been the case. And you even look at Amazon at the moment, I think it's sitting on still a really high PE, but on an Amazon basis relative to its highs, like in its history, it's on the lower end. Yeah. Um, what you actually are finding is if the price for some of these companies has come down significantly, let's look at Facebook, for example, it's off 22%, 25%, but its earnings haven't and its earnings are rising, even if it's incrementally, even if it's at lower than expected historically, it's still rising. What does that mean? It means that their PEs are starting to come down. So are they better value at the moment? So it's funny because what we're actually just seeing, given some of these price pullbacks, some investors for the long term are waiting and using these opportunities as a buying opportunity because they're viewing these stocks for the long term. Yes, you can try and time the market. That's another discussion. Timing the market is never great. It's time in the market. But I think that's mm. the other key point there, mm. um, ju just around some of these names. Just be aware of the fact that there has been a pullback. What's their long-term trajectory? What's their long-term growth? And you know, you're running through that checklist that you just said actually is really important. Um, but coming on to Microsoft, so obviously we've got the FANG ETF. The FANG ETF is 10 stocks, equally weighted portfolio. Now that's important because it means that the largest stock, which is Apple in terms of market cap, doesn't have the largest place in the portfolio. It's got as equal opportunity to contribute to the portfolio as Tesla does, as Baidu, Alibaba, which have been really strongly performing. They've had some really strong growth over the past two, three months, um, or on Microsoft now, for example. And Microsoft was added into the portfolio because it had, and so Fang looks at innovation, it looks at growth, it looks at mega trends. It is what you could call a concentrated, you know, mega trend, you know, ETF in, in that space. And Microsoft, for its purpose, has a cloud computing company um, business, Azure, which has been growing at a pace of about 40% revenue a quarter. And, you know, it's topped analyst mm -hmm. estimates for the 11th straight quarter at the time of the rebalance in December. You know, we've seen Microsoft's Office program. So we all know Microsoft Office. I think most people would have used it at some point in the past few decades, you know, since Microsoft has been around. But what we're actually seeing is 10 or well, 20 years ago, I remember when I used to, you know, go out and buy Microsoft CDs, <clears> the <throat> Office CDs and install it and you have to do it and then you have to try and register it. And then if you lose a CD or you lose the code, you go out and buy another one and that's $200 and whatever it was. Nowadays, it's all online. You know, Office 365 is a cloud-based online software that people can download. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your computer. You can have it all linked up. 
And they've had features in there like Microsoft Teams, which people weren't using before the pandemic. And the pandemic has just shifted this big shift in consumers and businesses to look at Microsoft Office product suite and start to use you know, some of their tools that they've always had. So, you know, sales of Office 365 was up 23% in the first quarter for the financial year 21-22. So that's remote working, pandemics, and then, as I mentioned, people paying for some of those premium subscriptions. And then you add the cybersecurity element. You've got things like that added security that people can pay for. So you've got the cloud revenue, you've got the software element to it. And then, yeah, you look at gaming. And gaming has, by the way, some linkages into metaverse. Um, which is that virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, and Microsoft obviously has taken out the third largest, um, you know, gaming company in Activision Blizzard. So for those that are gamers, things like Call of Duty, that is a game that Activision helps produce and build. That is, uh, and produces, and that's a game that now falls under Microsoft. Now, that's massive in the context of Xbox because Whilst Activision still has a tie with Sony at the moment, and you know it's been neutral from a platform basis, in time, once those you know deals you know finish up, Microsoft now has basically a suite of games and can lock Sony out and can lock PlayStation out from some of the biggest selling games that they've ever had on their platform, and that's massive when you think about it in the context of the gaming industry, and you know esports gaming. The whole idea of metaverse, which is where Activision Blizzard and the, you know, when you think about revenue streams, you look at Apple and Apple and within their app software and the app games, people buying, you know, different, um, different characters and skins and things like that within a game that is becoming a mega multi-billion dollar industry. And so Microsoft is tapping further and further into that. Mm. Um, what one thing that actually, you know, was interesting was we think about Microsoft as a tech company. They've actually invested $50 million in a jet fuel business called Lanza Jet. So it's biofueling, you know, it's, it's a, it's a basically a biorefinery. So they're trying to do sustainable aviation fuel. So now I think about it and go, so is Microsoft a energy company? Is it a tech company? Is it a gaming company? Is it a cloud company? Is it, you know, one of many, it has multiple different revenue streams, which makes it quite it makes it able to withstand and weather some of these storms. And as you mentioned, you go through that checklist and it's doing quite well from that perspective. And, you know, of its recent earnings results um, from the past week or two, we've actually seen its performance and stock increase as well. Mm. Yeah, actually, and it owns LinkedIn too. That was an it owns LinkedIn as well. Yes. Yeah, it's an acquisition that um, people tend to forget because at the time when they bought LinkedIn, it was quite, it was quite crazy. Um, to think that they would have purchased it for that. And people didn't really understand how it was, they could thought it was kind of disjointed from the rest of the business. Like here's this, you know, pure technology consumer and um, corporate computing company that now is doing social media, like yeah. professional social media. It didn't really make sense, but now you can see it's all just coming together. And um, what's interesting is I think what something that we've seen in the last couple of weeks is that what is one fang's loss is another fang's gain. And what I mean by that is the fight between Facebook and Apple um, has basically resulted in Apple taking Facebook's revenue and Google taking Facebook's revenue. Um, but if you look at Fang, if you look at Microsoft taking out Activision Blizzard, there's a really interesting thread uh, from Matt Cochrane on, on Twitter the other day that I just saw that basically showed that if Facebook, because you said Facebook 
it has a really rich history of acquisitions. Like it's brought Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus, um, Reality Labs, um, our control, control Labs. So, so if we look at all of these things, Facebook then got raked over the coals by regulators for the acquisition policy. I'm not sure if you saw uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, his email got leaked. And then um, there was basically this whole idea of, did he know that it was anti-competitive to buy Instagram and, and what have you? So now there's this concern that Facebook doesn't have that, that growth lever available to them. But because Microsoft has brought Activision, if that deal goes ahead, then Facebook should be able to buy a gaming company as well. So it well, kind of opens the doors. They were looking, I think there was an article I saw on Bloomberg um, just earlier today talking about them potentially looking at Roboblocks. Um, yeah. So in, in that way that they're trying to get into some part of that gaming area as well. Yeah. So yeah, it, 100%. It, I guess, yeah, they've probably been warned off it a little bit uh, of late, um, given some of that sort of inquiries that have been made into Facebook and, you know, you know, the congressional hearings and things like that. But if we are really honest, it's probably not going to stop them in the long term. You know, yeah. if they're wanting to grow and they've had success in that space in terms of acquisition strategy, it's not going to stop them. They've got the ability to do it. They've got the cash to be able to do this. Um, it may not be at that same level as Activision Blizzard, but they can still definitely do it. I think Sony also recently came out and bought a, a gaming company as well. So, you know, there's a lot of movement in that M&A world when you think about this. It's funny, when you see some of these stock prices drop in the volatility, it's the bigger companies like these that are the ones that are starting to pick it, pick up other of the smaller companies um, purely because they see it as a buying opportunity for themselves. Yeah, I um, as we record this, um, Roblox... Um, fell 8% overnight and yep. uh, someone on Twitter said to me oh well you can Facebook could just buy Roblox for cash um, and it's 30, 35 billion market cap and uh, for anyone that has kids like young teenagers or whatever they would know that basically Roblox is 30% of their life so um, if Facebook does have this massive problem with engaging the next generation that emerging um, target audience here's a solution, use the cash and, and buy some of these companies now that Microsoft's doing it. And obviously we saw Amazon come out overnight too. I think shares, I could, this is just off the top of my head. I think shares, maybe I should look it up rather than putting it on the podcast. <laughs> but but I, I think, yes, here we go. Shares fell at the time of recording, they fell 8%. And then after hours, once they released the report, um, the stock was up 14% um, on the back of a really strong result. So, I mean, there's a few lessons in here. One of them is don't take your cues from what the stock does on the day um, but also that these companies are still growing rapidly and um, the market is becoming more sensitive to these earnings releases because um, basically because of what we've talked about like a lot of macro uncertainty COVID winding down and obviously that was a big boon for these guys because more people were remotely working and you know had leisure time playing Call of Duty instead of going down the park and doing whatever with your friends so um, th these businesses I think are still fantastic businesses as a whole one of the things I own Facebook for full, full disclosure, I own Google, which is doing the 24 one stock split, um, Apple, you know, in my personal portfolio, but people can get that exposure if they don't want to take a view on any one um, with the FANG ETF, which is why, you know, that's why it's risen uh, in popularity, I guess, why you, why you launched the ETF in the first place. Um, one thing I might ask is in the email that you sent out, there was a comment about the, the Chinese tech stocks. Um, so how like how are they faring um, as kind of like the the seven eight nine of the portfolio, if you like? Yeah, look, I think we have seen um, some 
obviously 2021 with the regulated you know, the regular regulatory sort of overhang that you had with Chinese names, their ability to list in the US, there was a lot of concern around them and you have seen a massive pullback in Chinese markets. Um, mm. With Baidu and Alibaba, so when you consider the lows that they were coming off, they've obviously are rebounding. Um, there is still some uncertainty around what that you know future looks like from a US listing perspective. And so just to be really clear with the FANG ETF, it only focuses on US listed stocks or ADRs. So Baidu and Alibaba are listed ADRs um, within the US on a US exchange. So whether that being you know the NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange, et cetera. Now, mm. if they were delisted, well, then they would not feature in the portfolio and they would be replaced um, mm. because the minimum number of stocks that the FANG ETF can have is 10. And so we do and are constantly talking with the underlying index managers. So that's part of our job as the ETF provider is having constant dialogue with the index manager who manage the index that the ETF tracks. So the ETF tracks the New York Stock Exchange FANG plus index. And that's where we sit on it in terms of we are tracking the index. It's not for our job as a provider. We are mm. not active. So we're not, you know, a, a Berkshire Hathaway, you know, we're, we're not a... Um, You're not making the call of which... We're, which we're, yeah, exactly. which one goes we're, yeah. we're not making a call on which one goes in you. We saw Microsoft come in and Twitter come out and we understood why. Um, and whether personally we may have a view here or there, we as an ETF provider, the ETF tracks the index. And so from that point of view, we are seeing some strong growth in the Chinese names, but keep in mind, they've come off some really strong, you know, big lows um, in 2021, but there is some sort of, you know, runway at the moment and they're actually leading or were leading when I was looking at it last, just the other day, some of that performance internally within that fund, but that was off the back also of some of the really big drops that we saw with, you know, likes of, you know, Facebook and Amazon and Netflix, et cetera, of late. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because you, since you've rebalanced the portfolio, those two, Alibaba and Baidu, have crept, have were, rebounded pretty strongly. They've crept to the biggest positions already. Um, exactly. Yeah, which is fascinating. And um, once again, people don't get a lot of exposure to those names, um, at least but you can't get them here in Australia. So you have to use um, the US brokerage you can if that's what you want to do. Um, or you could buy the ETF, simple as that. Um, it's really interesting, I think, the way things are playing out at the moment. I think there's, it'd be remiss of me not to say that there's probably a lot of people out there that are hurting um, from yep. owning individual stocks. Um, normally, when you have, like we've, we've become accustomed to Apple in COVID growing at 30%, um, but that's not normal for a $2 trillion company. And what else is not normal is companies, you know, losing a couple hundred billion dollars of their market value. Um, so I think there's, you know, a lot of people out there that would be hurting, but I think what the message is and why the FANG ETF exists in the first place and why, these, why I like these companies is that, you know, these businesses are sound companies. They're still growing. This is, in, you know, let's just take you know, Google, for example, our Alphabet. Um, you know, we did a valuation of Alphabet here at Rask the other day. And um, we basically said, if it just grows at 2%, like revenue at 2%, um, you know, margins stay constant, it doesn't really need to do anything. Can we justify the current market price? And we could using discounted cash flow analysis. And that's, you know, after a couple of years, it dials down to 2% growth, which is very unlikely considering how digital advertising is going, uh, well, in my opinion. And if we look at YouTube, YouTube is owned by Google. That is now, in terms of revenue, a bigger business than the whole of Netflix. Um, and so, wow. you know, yeah. 
Yeah. So there, there's a lot to like about these businesses and you think about, you know, Amazon and, and how AWS is growing and um, just all the cash that these businesses have to reinvest in other opportunities. It's really exciting stuff. So um, I really like the, I really like the, the businesses, um, the ETF obviously includes all of them. Um, mate, just before we wrap up, um, where can people find out more info and see what's the, the, what are the latest holdings inside the ETF? Just the best place to go is our website, so etfsecurities.com.au. Um, you can find out um, the information on there. So there will be a product page, a landing page as well, that I think will be in the um, the show notes, and people can just sure. click on that. They'll be able to see some useful articles as well. Um, you know, because it's a controversial topic at the moment to talk about fangs and saying, you know, mm. is it a buying opportunity given if historical performance is an indicator? You know, people think, oh, historically in the past three six months you know, it's been hammered, you know, some of these names. And in the past three mm. months, you can look at it and go, I'm going to steer clear of it. There's concerns on rising rates and there's concerns with rising rates. That means that's going to affect growth stocks. And is, are these growth stocks, are these going to be impacted? I think, as I said at the outset, it's really important. These are quality names, really strong balance sheets, strong intangible assets. They're operating different revenue streams, a number of them. And Tesla is a perfect example it had been rubbished for years um, and it's now got increased in production capacity You know, it's gross. It's got, you know, increasing gross profit margins. It's working on new battery technology. It's probably the best positioned company from an automobile company in that shift to electric vehicles. So, mm. you know, for a lot of people looking at it now, people are saying, actually Tesla's doing really well um, and Apple, Microsoft. And so, you know, there is for the long-term some really strong reasons to look at this. But as I said, that is the long-term because we will have short-term and medium-term noise in this current climate. And so you're mm. going to have to ride that volatility. So some investors are looking at dollar cost averaging and some investors are saying, you know, do I buy the dips? Um, what I generally, when we talk to clients is, does it sit within your risk profile? How long is this holding going to be for? And if it fits those criteria, well, then it may be an option within the portfolio. But for more information, our website um, is mm. the best place to go. Yeah, you can you can find the PDS there too if you want to find out more about how everything's constructed and put yeah. together. And, and the obviously... TMDs as well. Um, yep. So the TMDs and the PDS both are on the website as well. Yep, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it's a fascinating space. I think it's really interesting how we're going to see the, the these companies evolve over the next five years. Um, I, I'm thinking, you know, some of these companies like Microsoft, um, Apple, even Google that have almost like entrenched monopolies in some markets, they're just going to flex that, that muscle even more. We're going to see, um, you know, it's probably going to be at the expense of some other tech companies, to be honest with you, but yep. those companies alone are going to just continue to dominate. And, you know, if we see talks of like Apple getting its services business, getting broken off from its hardware business, well, then if you own the stock, at least you get you get two halves, two halves are the same as one whole. So um, it's a, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting space, man. I'm thank, I'm thankful for you to, for coming on and uh, chatting with me about the Fang stock. So can you just ETF securities? Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me.